0: You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please feel free to contact us by visiting our website, harvestoakville.ca. Amen. Amen. And uh, Bob is here with us uh, here in this service this weekend. Hey, Bob, are you able to stand or wave your hand or something. Can you do that, Bob? Can you do something? Just say happy birthday to Bob. Happy birthday, Bob. Amen. <laughs> Bless you. Bless you. And much love to you. Amen. We had a party for Bob here at the church on Friday. It was truly a joy and very special. And family and friends gathered around him. And just so you know, when you turn 100, you get your own video too. All right? <laughs> Alright, Well, we're pretty sure about that, okay? You turn 100, that's a big deal in this church. So, hey, uh, why don't you grab a Bible and turn to uh, Luke chapter 15. Please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. Um, and by the way, there's a reason that I start almost all my messages with, please open your Bibles too. And the reason for that is because the Word of God is everything. The Word of God is the power of God for salvation. The Word of God is What we understand leads us to the truth that allows us to hear the gospel. Again, the power of God for salvation. The Word of God is alive. The Word of God is active. The Word of God revives the soul, the Bible says. The Word of God enlightens the eyes. Without the Word of God, there is nothing we really have to say. And so that is why, in part, every weekend we gather, we hear the phrase, at some point, for sure, please open your Bibles. Because without the Bible, again... We're not going on much at all. And that's why every baptism this weekend testifies in some form, too. I heard the truth. I heard the Word of God. I heard the message of salvation revealed to us in Scripture, and then I was saved. So I just want to give a little bit of a brief apologetic as to why God's Word is so vital and why we want to have it with us and why we want to love God's Word to love God. Here's what the Bible says that the Bible is. The Bible is like a seed that saves us. The Bible's like water that washes us. The Bible's like a fire that cleanses us. The Bible's like a hammer that shatters us. And that's so great. God's word comes and, and breaks us and, and allows us to see our need for Him. We need God's word all the time. The Bible's like a sword that cuts deeply into us. The Bible's like medicine to keep us from sickness. And yet, there's more. Bible is like a mirror. It it shows us who we really are with its law and and shows us we're sinners in need of a Savior. It, It presents as a mirror. The Bible is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. If you want to know where to go in life, you need the Word of God. There's no way you can do it without it. The Bible is like a counselor that comforts us. We read it and we know God is speaking to us through it. We can trust God's Word because it's that. It's God's Word. Listen, the Bible is is God's Word, God's Word does not err, therefore the Bible does not err. If God wrote it, it cannot be anything but His book, and therefore everything in it can be trusted. Everything. The Bible is like a forecaster that never fails us. Ever. Ever ever. You will never read the Bible and be led astray. It doesn't mean you'll be led into ease, but it means you'll never be led astray. Everything in the book of God, the word of God, will in the end lead you to where you need to be and the best person you can be by the grace of God and the strength of God. The Bible is like milk that nourishes us. And finally, the Bible is like meat that satisfies us. Loved ones, that is why we begin with, please, Open your Bibles to. And that is why we bring our Bibles to church. Amen. Amen. And if you don't have a Bible with you today, there should be one in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, then that is our gift to you. That black or blue Bible in front of you in the chair as long as you promise to read it and to treat it for what it is really the Word of God. And so speaking of the Bible, God's book, we open to Luke chapter 15 here today and in what is one of the most familiar passages in Scripture. Even if you don't know this text specifically, you will know its story because our world even uses phrases relating to the story all the time. And as it happens, this text falls in the middle of our series, which I believe this passage is really the center of all our stories Because the story today, it's a story that causes all the other parables to make sense. This is the parable that has the potential to change everything. Why? Why? Because in this parable, we see the love of God. We see the mercy of God. We see the grace of God, which again leads to everlasting life. And here's the bottom line, really, for this message today. It's this. True repentance will always find grace. True repentance in the life that truly wants the Lord will always find the grace of God. But in order to deal with this parable of the prodigal son, which is really though the parable of the two sons, which we'll learn in just a few moments, we have to understand the context, because the context helps us so much. And if you were here last week, you will remember in Luke 15, it starts out with the Pharisees Grumbling. They were complaining. They were upset that Jesus was hanging out with the tax collectors and sinners. So what Jesus does, he tells the parable of the lost sheep, and then he goes on to tell the parable of the lost coin, because he's trying to reach the religious, self-righteous Pharisees to show them who God really is. Now the greatest indictment of the Pharisees is this. Their greatest indictment was they hated because God loved They hated the fact that Jesus Christ, claiming to be God, would love the lowly of society. That he was friends with sinners. They hated, really, whether they knew it or not, they hated the fact that God loved in this way. And so what Jesus does, he's trying to plead with them. He speaks right to them and he says, don't you understand the love of God is like a, a, a shepherd that, that goes after that one lost sheep. Don't you understand? The love of God is like the woman who loses one coin and searches until she finds it. And those who truly repent receive His grace. And then He ends today in this trilogy of parables in Luke 15. It's so beautiful. He ends with the parable of the lost son, or really the lost sons. He ends with the parable of the two sons. So let me tell you a story now. A story here of two sons found in Luke 15, verse 11, and I just, before I do that, in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray that he would open our eyes, and I pray that he would let us see repentance and brokenness in a new way. I pray that he would refresh in our hearts with his truth, that he truly would meet us where we are, and his love would be poured down upon us as we now embrace his truth, his word, for his glory. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Luke 15, verse 11, and Jesus said, there was a man who had two sons. Speaking right to the Pharisees here. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And the father divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And notice, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. That's a key phrase. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his field to feed pigs. And as he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. I want to stop right there for a second as we dive into this first portion of this amazing parable. This is, this is famously known as the parable of the prodigal son. But again, as you see right there in verse 12, or verse 11, sorry, in verse 11, you can see right there that Jesus calls this a story of two sons. So I think that is more accurate when you look at this parable, again, in its full context. So you have two sons. You have a younger son, and you have an older son. The younger son in this parable typifies the repentant sinner. He's a son of rebellion who becomes a son of redemption. The older son represents the scribes and the Pharisees. And the older sons, being the scribe and the Pharisees, they are sons by physical birth. They are born of Jewish descent. They are holding on to the fact that they are sons of Abraham by birth. But what they fail to realize, they are not They have not been born spiritually. As Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. The Pharisees were holding on to their physical birth. They did not get, I must be born spiritually to actually receive eternal life and gain entrance into heaven by grace through faith. They were operating on, I have done this. I am working for this. I have been born of Jewish descent, so I get into heaven. They couldn't be more wrong. The older son in their self-righteousness. Sons by physical birth, but not sons by spiritual birth. So let's start off then with the younger son. And I want to label his journey this way. This is point number one. The younger son we will find was reckless. He was repentant. But in the end, he was redeemed. That's so many of our stories even here right now. And I pray there'll be some of us here right now, or maybe in the foyer listening or at overflow, wherever it may be. And right now, I mean, this will be your story. I mean, if truth be told, you are recklessly living right now. But you see, through a heart that is truly repentant, here's what God guarantees that true repentance will always find grace. It will always find grace from recklessness to repentance. And then to seeing redemption within your life. So in verse 12, we are introduced to the younger son who had one thing on his mind. Can you see what he had on his mind? He had earthly pleasure and earthly treasure on his mind. Verse 12. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And the father divided his property between them. Now, for a son to demand the inheritance of his father while his father was still alive, That was conceivably allowed, but for sure it would not be considered very loving. In one sense, the younger son, listen, so full of himself and his selfish desires. He was so concentrated on what he wanted here and now. More money, more lust, more pleasure, more self-fulfillment. The son so full of himself, he basically walks up to his dad and says this, Dad, I wish you were dead. The moment he asks for his inheritance, he's asking for something that is supposed to come when the father passes away. But really what he does, he looks at his father and he basically says, Dad, I don't care about you, but I care about your money. So if you don't mind, if you could get my portion, which for the younger son would be one-third, for the older son, which would be two-thirds, and we have to imagine for him to get his full inheritance, he's asking the father to sell some of his property and to liquidate his assets in some way, get that cash into his hands. Whatever he says, his father, I don't care about you, but I do care about your money. Give me the money, please, so I can leave you and go spend myself on my own desires and my own life. Foolishness. Recklessness, not loving. But notice in verse 12, the father granted the son's request. He gave him the money and he let him go. Now, all throughout this powerful parable, we're going to see how our heavenly father relates to his children, his sons and daughters here on earth. And notice right away here, notice the father loves us enough to respect our free wills. Notice the Father has not made us as robots, because right here, right here within this parable, the Father knows the Son is about to make awful choices, but He loves Him enough to let Him go even when He doesn't agree. Think about in our lives when we see the grace of God. Some of us right now just need to even be aware enough that we don't see God's grace. Are you breathing? God's grace. Do you have food in your fridge? God's grace. Do you have a car? God's grace. Do you able to survive? Are you... I mean, how many times in the last several weeks I've been sitting in home when it is cold outside and I'm thanking God for this furnace thing that comes on and heat comes out and there's a roof over the head that protects us from those. I mean, anyone else thankful for that? I mean, that's all God's grace. Let alone the grace of God to experience joy, to experience pleasure in life, to experience the reality of creation, not to mention the reality of His Son dying for us and offering to us salvation. Think of how often we see God's grace but abuse God's grace. Think of how we spurn God in His love, His kindness, His patience. And we squander it all away in the pursuit of self. This was the Son. Look at verse 13. And by the way, I'm going to move through this fairly quickly for the sake of time today, but I'm praying at the same time supernaturally thoroughly as well. Verse 13, Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. It took no time at all. The son gathers the money. He takes the money and he runs. The phrase in verse 13 of, see it, says, far country. This is so fascinating to me, and it's so accurate. The far country within this parable is a longing for perceived Freedom. The son wants to get away from his father's house. He wants to get out from under his father's authority. He wants to go somewhere where people won't tell him what to do. There's a longing for a sense of, I am removing myself from accountability. I'm removing myself from direction. I'm removing myself from authority. And the son wants the money. He wants the blessing. But then he wants to escape from the direction and authority and find himself somewhere where he can do as he wills. Where he can relieve himself and indulge himself in all the pleasures that he seeks are going to bring him happiness i want you to think about how pervasive that thought can be in our hearts and our flesh that we desire to remove ourselves from authority of god and authority that god has placed in our lives so that we can find our own place and do what we want and all the while we might find ourselves actually running away from the protection and the grace of god Think of how rebellious our hearts can be. And think to the extent that we will go to get out from under the authority of God. Think of high school students hiding in their friends' basements to pursue pleasure. Think of university students fleeing to university to indulge their flesh. Think of husbands failing to come home at night or to come home at all to indulge their sexual desires. Think of individuals who will not come to church because they can't stand the conviction of the word of God because they want to live a life where no one tells them what to do, especially God himself. That's all attempts to flee to a faraway country to form this own little kingdom of myself where I'm God, I'm in control, I know what's best, and I want everything that God wants to give me in his grace, but I don't want to give him any love back. That's the wickedness of sin. And this is what it does. An attempt to run away that we squander our lives in reckless living. You need to know that's my story. For 22 years of my life, it was like, hey God, I want all your blessing. I don't want any of you though. I want all your blessing, God. But I want none of you. I want you to see this insight into the text here too. This is very important in my estimation. If you look at verse 30. When the older son is complaining about how the younger son went away to this far country, spent all his dad's money, notice what he says he did with it. He says that he spent his money on prostitutes. Now here's what we learn about what the son was doing, the younger son, with his life. We learn here the younger son wanted all his dad's money to spend it on himself to accumulate possessions and partying and apparently prostitution. Prostitution. Here's a word I cannot fail to give before we move on from this place right now. Listen to what's happened to the younger son. God, I want all your blessings. Father, I want all your blessings, but I want to do it exactly the way I want to do it. There are men and women increasingly in this room right now that you are squandering away your life in the pursuit of lust and the desires of the world, specifically in forms of prostitution, pornography, or sexual fantasy. Don't you understand? Do not play the game. Do not play the game in the authority of God in the name of Jesus Christ where you say, God, I want this, this, and this and then you go and take his grace and then go squander it away in pursuing your flesh and the lust of women or men or whatever it might be. Don't play that game with God. That will not go well. You will wreck your life. You are on the path to carnage and destruction just like the younger son. God, give me all the grace, give me all the blessings, but let me go now and indulge myself with that which will hollow me out from the inside. And there are some here right now. You are doing that right now. And this is an act of grace and the love of God to speak out to you right now to say, son, you won't win. Daughter, you won't win. It will not go the way you think. Do not complain to God about what he has not done at the very same time when you are taking his grace and abusing it in front of his very face. The younger son was doing this. And look what happens now in verse 14. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country. That's very interesting. When he spent everything, foolish, he spent everything. And then notice the next thing a severe famine arose in that country. And here's such a critical phrase and he began to be in need. Now, here's the thing about reckless living. Ready? Reckless living will always run out. For some of us, it will take months to figure this out. For some of us, it will take years. For some of us, we're not there yet. It'll take decades. But here's what you have to know, and here's the spiritual principle found within this verse. The world will never, ever satisfy. Take that to your spiritual bank. Cash that check, man. God will be good on that. The world will never, ever satisfy. Ever. Reckless living will run out. It will. Young people here right now, how long will it take for you to understand the world will not satisfy? You're like, no, I'm doing great right now, Pastor Robbie. All right, you just keep going, and you see where you end up. You see where you end up. been a pastor now for 10, 15 years. I see wreckage, 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 wreckage. Sin never, ever works out the way people want. Every baptism this weekend in some form or another is, I tried it my way, I found Christ, I'm home. I'm home. Everything I wanted, everything I longed for, I have now found in Jesus Christ. Listen to what Psalm 16 verse 4 says about the reality of pursuing our world. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. There are high school students in this room right now. You have been pursuing the false gods and idolatry of this world and so longing to be accepted and wish you could be thought of in a certain way. And if I can just get another thing. And what you're realizing is as you keep going, it's not working out the way you want. And your sorrows are multiplying because you are running after God's. You are going to that far country. It's not working. There are men here. There are women here. There are seniors here. You've been doing this forever. You're running after the world. But the sorrows will multiply, it says in God's word. Because they never, ever satisfy. This is what the younger son was doing. If I can just get my money and run. It doesn't work out. You spend everything. And the famine hits. Mark 8 says this. Jesus says this in Mark chapter 8. What is it profit a man to gain the whole world? And yet forfeit his soul. Do you know what's amazing is if if some of our prayer requests were answered the way that we desire, some of us would have the whole world. Because we say, God, I need more. I need more money. I need more this. I need more that. I need a better car. I need a bigger house. God, can you give me this? Can you bless me? I need a better job. But it wouldn't be enough. Because as long as we're focused on the world, God, I need more. I need more. So literally, if our prayers were answered to the full extent of where that would be headed, we'd have the whole world! Yeah, we wouldn't be satisfied. Because Jesus says, man, you get the whole world. But what does it profit you if you forfeit your soul? Because in the reality, the only thing that matters is not the car I drive. The only thing that matters is where my soul is and have I embraced by faith the grace that is received in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the path of the younger son. And this is what he's beginning to find out. As long as you live for the world, loved ones, we live for nothing. I want you to notice, too, he spent everything in verse 14, but notice what happened next. A severe famine hit. Isn't that interesting? A severe famine hit the land at the same time. What is this? I believe this is the grace of God. How often the things we most want to avoid can end up becoming our greatest blessing. Hear me, hear me. How often, think about this, think about this, how often can God's grace come in the form of our difficulty and even our misery? Notice in verse 14, he spent all a reckless life, a severe famine, and then it says, and then he began to be in need. Let me ask you a question. Are you wise enough and mature enough in Jesus Christ to look at your past, to recognize the famines that came upon your land and your life that were actually used of God to direct you to Him, that you understood that you were in need. See, the person who's blessed is the person who receives from God. The person who's blessed is the person who knows they need God. The person who's truly blessed is the person who says, God, you are everything, I am nothing. Here's my life, take it. And you find your joy and satisfaction fully rooted in him. Why does God allow famines upon our life? Because only in the famines do we recognize we need something beyond ourselves. Are you mature enough to look in your past and see the famines through trial and difficulty and health and financial trials, and whatever it might be, and relational strife, are you able to recognize that God has used those difficulties to produce in you His very grace? And are we wise enough to look forward and to say, I don't know what my future holds, but this I know, that the will of God is not promised to make my life easy, but the will of God is promised to make my life fill with Him and joy and blessing, but the very thing He might bring to my life to get all of me on His plan could be a famine of some sort. And so here's this young man. He has all his stuff, he spent all his money, and the famine hits. And for the first time in his life, he begins to actually think. Isn't that interesting? How many of us have been brought to the place where we have bottomed out? The guy starts bottoming out. Don't you realize how powerful bottoming out can be? Because what does bottoming out in life do? It gets us to the place where we actually start to think in terms of what actually matters. God is God. We are not. I'm a sinner. I need a savior. There's only one who can satisfy my desires and my longings. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. The more we are emptied of self, the more brokenness starts to flow down into our lives. And the more brokenness flows down into our lives. the more we are aware of the grace of God and the more we refuse to complain or demand and the more we're like, here God, my life, you do it, you do it. That is the beauty, that is the beauty in the grace found in the life that is truly broken. See, he says, he began to be in need. There's some here right now, there's some listening, there's some in the foyer right now. And you're here and you're just like, I don't need this, I don't need God. Listen, the day will come where you will. If God's hand upon your life, you'll be brought to your knees. And at that moment, you will realize, I can't do it. I am not God. That is the greatest possible place you and I can get to, is when we know he's the answer to all things. And this is where the younger son, but listen, I want you to hear this. One of the reasons he got there was because of the famine. The very thing we try to run from at all costs is the famine. And that might be the very grace of God flowing into our lives that we would see as we've never seen before. You see, you can't see life itself until you're free of self. You can't see life itself until you're free of self. And this is why Jesus told this story, looking out at verse 15. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his field to feed pigs and he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate and no one gave him anything. Now this is very powerful symbolism here. Notice, the younger son had everything with his father. He had everything in his father's house but he rebelled, he refused to stay, he lost his life in the pursuit of sin and now the younger son has nothing. Notice, no money, no food, no friends, no joy. Nothing. Feeding pigs was deplorable for a Jewish man. Deplorable. But here he is, and so emptied of self. He has so little that he longs to eat what the pigs are eating. Wow. And this right here is the picture of the devastation and the reality of sin. Sin makes such great promises, but delivers on none of them. Sin promises us joy, freedom, and pleasure. But what does sin actually deliver? It delivers slavery and destitution. It makes us like pigs. Spiritually speaking, sin takes us from the penthouse to the outhouse. Listen, every single time. But here's the question. Can you see that truth? Are we able to see that truth of what sin actually does? The younger son started to see it. Look at verse 17. But when he came to himself, some translations say, when he came to his senses, meaning he was not who he was before, but now he's coming to the place he was meant to be. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? And here he says, this is wisdom. This is the fruit of brokenness. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So he came to his senses and see what what sin makes us do. Sin really makes us insane. Sin sin produces in us a level of thinking that when you're saved by grace, you turn and look at who you were or what you were doing, and you're like, What was I thinking? It's like it's like the man who thinks he's gonna have an affair in his wife or leave his family, and he thinks this is gonna work out great. You're insane. Or like the young couple who says, we're going to get together, and we're going to have premarital sex, and we're going to live together, we don't care what God says about that, and it's going to be good. What are you thinking? You're insane. That's what sin does. It completely blinds us and deceives us into what is actually true and right, and we carry on like, this is going to go great, man. This is going to go great into reckless living, and you squander your whole life away. The younger son, he came to himself in his brokenness. Brokenness does. He came to himself in his repentance. And he's like, what was I thinking? And he starts to rehearse the reality of truth. And here are the things. Notice his clarity from his brokenness. Notice his clarity from his beginning of repentance. Notice he says, my father's house is is freedom. See, even his father's servants have way more than him. So he realizes the very thing I was running from is the very place I belong. Now that's a word for some here today. I mean, I don't know how you got here today, but some of you, you've been running from this place. You've been running from God your whole life. And the very thing that you're running from is the very place that you actually belong. And the grace and the love of God. The the son starts to see this. See, brokenness and repentance cause him to see clearly. He says, My father's house is freedom. I tried freedom in a far country. That doesn't work. The very place I need to be is the house I left in the first place. Who's that applied to today? He says, I'm a sinner. See, he sees so clearly, he sees sin. Pride says, You're the sinner. Humility says, I'm the sinner. Pride says, You're to blame. Brokenness says, Man, it starts here. Any marriage that's going to last and be strong, it starts with the husband saying, I'm the problem. The wife saying, I'm the problem. Any, any church, anything. The clarity of repentance and brokenness, it's not saying you're the sinner, It says, no, 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 I'm the problem. He says, I'm a sinner. He, he says, I'm not worthy. You see, when true repentance is found, you are so grieved by sin, you don't place any stock in self. You just can't because you're so devastated in the reality of sin. He says this, I'm a sinner, I'm not worthy, I love this, I'll do anything. Treat me as one of your hired servants. So true brokenness is so broken, it cares not for self to the slightest degree. How do you know you're truly broken? When you get to the place where you're so devastated but in a beautiful way. Brokenness is so beautiful that you're like in the grace, in the perspective of the love and grace of God, I'll do anything. I just realize I'm a sinner, and the fact that God loves me and has saved me—how dare I complain or accuse God of being unjust or unfair? How dare, I would never think of It's just, Father, whatever you want to do. Just if you accept me, then anything here I am—that is brokenness. Here's what you got to know: if the cross of Christ is right here, and you're standing over here, no one can genuinely approach the cross of Jesus Christ and be proud. When you understand what Christ has done for you by dying a horrible death and taking on the judgment and wrath of God for your place, the closer you get to the cross, the smaller you become. To the point that you will be on your knees and on your face and prostrate on the ground before the Lord Jesus Christ, saying, Listen, listen, no one can stand genuinely beside the cross of Jesus Christ and make it about them. No one. No one can be filled with pride in that way. Because if you're genuinely beside the cross of Jesus Christ, you are saying, Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? That's, that's what brokenness does. I can't believe I'm alive. I can't believe I'm forgiven. I can't believe I'm saved. I'll do anything. I'll do anything. But we're so afraid of that. We're so afraid of releasing ourselves to the Lord because we don't ultimately trust him. And we think our ways are better than his and we're smarter than God. There are a lot of people in this room, you're the time that clenches fists and you hold on for dear life. It's mine, it's mine, it's mine, it's mine. That's not brokenness. In brokenness and repentance, this younger son, he says, I got nothing. It's yours. I'll take whatever you give me it's yours. Here's my life. Here's my whole life, Father. That's brokenness. Listen, that that is the place where life is found. That is the place where joy becomes so overwhelming. You just weep and weep and say, I did not know that life could be this full and this good and this satisfying. Here's what I know as I say that. There are many of you who don't even know what I'm talking about. You've never been in the place where you've been so filled with the grace and the love and the Holy Spirit of God to say, Father, you are my everything and my satisfaction. You've never been in that place, but you can. It's part of what God's calling you to today to believe that he is everything you've ever been wanting and looking for. He is your full satisfaction. He is your love and joy and peace. He is the one that you were created to worship, that you might have your greatest, greatest pleasure and greatest love and greatest joy more than you've ever, ever thought of. See, this is what the world can't even hold a candle to, to the joy and the power and the love and the grace that is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what brokenness finds. This is what brokenness does. And Look at verse 20 now. And he arose and he came to his father. Look at that phrase right there. This is very important for people in this service right now. Notice, notice. It's one thing to think, yeah, that's a good idea. I should do that. Many of us have been thinking right thoughts for a long time. But we've never done anything about it. See, the son could say, man, I should say this to my dad. I should go back and say, I'm a sinner. I'm unworthy. Treat me with whatever. But if you just think it and don't do it, what happens? Nothing. But he thought it and did it. There are people here, you've, you've been thinking for years. Yeah, yeah, I should, I should really get my whole life before Christ. I should really go all in for Jesus. But you've never done it, Ever. And so here you are, and you remain in the place you've been year after year after year after year because you've never fully trusted Christ for who he is and what he says he will be in your life. But notice the younger son here. He arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. It's almost like I just, I just picture the father sitting on a porch. Do you have a porch? I have no idea. I just imagine the father each day kind of looking out across the horizon and will, will this be the day and just seeing that speck kind of come over the horizon and he's longing to see his son. He loves him so much. He has not made his son into a robot but he asks his son and compels him to come home. He is looking for him. Notice while it's still a long way off his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Listen, listen. Jewish men did not run in this culture. That was inappropriate, unthinkable to go running after anything. The father's so filled with love, he says, forget inappropriate, I could care less. I love my son so much, I'm running, I'm embracing, I'm showing compassion, I am kissing him. Verse 21, the son says to him, father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. It's time to eat. It's time to celebrate. Why? Why? Verse 24. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. I just love this so much. In verse 21, the the son has his speech. You see? The son has his speech. And he goes into his speech, and he's like, Father, I'm a sinner, and I'm not worthy. And it's like, that's all the father needed to hear. All he needed to hear, there was evidence of true repentance and brokenness. And from that when he cuts his son off and just says, quickly, quickly, bring everything. It's time to celebrate. It's time to rejoice, because my son was lost and is found. He was dead, but now he's alive. And the father says, enough, son. I heard enough. I love you. He embraces him. And there's that incredible moment and the portrayal of God's grace upon his children. Notice the father says, bring a robe, indicating the, the status of importance of His son. He says, give him a ring, indicating the sonship that he belongs to him. He says, put on shoes, indicating my son's no slave. He says, kill the fat and calf, meaning it's time to celebrate. See what the Father is doing. This is the grace and mercy and love of God. He's like sonship and status of importance, and he's no slave, and it's time to celebrate. The love of God meets this son. The love of the Father meets this son in a way the son can only imagine and only dream of. It's time to rejoice. My son is home. And just consider the condition of the son. He would have been dirty and disgusting and wretched and literally looked like a pig. But the father doesn't care. This is the grace of God. You're here today. And you say, yeah, but Robbie, I have so much sin. I have done such horrible things. Welcome to the club. No, no, if you knew, if you knew. and See, God does not care what you've done, where you've been, or who you've been. His grace is big enough to take you exactly as you are, just as the Father embraces His Son, and His Son would have been a horrible mess, but He kisses Him and embraces Him, and instantly in that moment of grace and love, get the robe, get the ring, get the shoes, kill the calf. And that's what He says to you today, too, as you truly Turn to the Lord in repentance and brokenness and you watch the love of the Father meet you where you are and you see if you're disappointed in the end. The Father runs and without hesitation, listen, listen, without hesitation, no debate, no discussion, no analyzing the moment, quickly, quickly, may all my love be upon my Son. And I want you to see this too. Everything the Son was searching for in the far country he ended up finding right in the home of his father. Notice this. He found clothes, jewelry, friends, food, joy, family. Listen, the greatest thing that we all long for, he found love. Everything he went off to find in the far country, he ended up finding right there in his father's home. What is that, loved ones? What is that? Look right here, look right here. What is that? That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We spend so much time trying to find ourselves apart from God when the very offer of life itself is found fully and completely in the Son of God. That is the gospel. Always remember, always remember, unbelievers here today, the Lord Jesus Christ says to you, My child, it's time to come home. Stop running. It's time to come home. Come home. Come home to where everything you long for will be found in the knowledge and the inheritance of becoming a child of God and the inheritance of Jesus Christ. And even for believers here today, we're so tempted to put so much stock in this world, clamoring for money, wanting more stuff, spending so much time and energy pursuing that, which in the end adds up to zero, nothing, zilch. Just remember, remind yourself, the moment the trumpet sounds, Jesus Christ returns, and you see your Savior, Jesus Christ, face to face, you're not thinking about now. You're not thinking about your car. You're not thinking about the next paycheck. All you're thinking about is Him and His glory and His majesty and His love. We think this world is so long. It is not. Convince yourself it's short. Convince yourself the day is coming so soon it feels long. It's not. When the trumpet sounds, Christ returns. All of eternity begins. And there we find out why we truly live. And the moment you're in the glory and the presence of your Savior, Jesus Christ, you're not thinking about this earth. You're not thinking about, oh, I wish I would have done. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. Your only thought is, I belong to Jesus Christ. He saved me. He loves me. And I will never, ever leave his side, ever, because I am his child. So so here's the maturity. Again, again, I try to say this to you a lot because we need to hear it every day. Live now in the reality of what will be true then. That's the truth of our future. Let's live like that now. The younger son is starting to understand the very thing I wanted. It's what I find in the house of my father. We're here today. You've been running again. It's time to come home. time to come home. It's time to give up. It's time to repent. And it's time to see your father with arms fully extended running towards you to embrace you and love you. See, I'm not worthy. You haven't heard then what's been said. None of us are worthy. That's the point. Jesus Christ makes us worthy in him. The younger son, reckless, repentant, redeemed. And we can't treat this parable justly without now seeing the older son briefly. Here's how I want to Label the older son jealous, judgmental, and juries out. The older son was jealous, judgmental, and the jury's out on him. Look at verse 25 right now. This is pretty amazing. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and said, hey, what's going on here? In verse 27, he said to him, your brother has come. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. Notice the brother's first response. But he was angry. What is that? It's not good. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, father, these many years I've served you, I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, that's important, When the son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him, exclamation mark. And he said to him, Son, father says, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is a very important transition in the story. We go from external rebel to now internal self-righteousness. Listen, listen, both are lost to God. Both are lost sons. Whether you're externally rebellious or internally self-righteous and religious, both are lost. Notice the older son in verse 29. Notice he testified to virtue. He's like, hey, dad, I've worked hard, man. I've worked hard. I pursued obedience. I haven't brought disgrace to your family. But this is what's so critical. The brother had all this law in his head, but no love in his heart. At the first sign of his brother's return, the older brother experiences what? He experiences a jealous rage. He's indignant with the Father. He complains to the Father. He accuses the Father. What's that? That's no love. No love. He's filled with envy, bitterness, a calloused heart, and unforgiveness. What is that? That's no love. He did not and could not rejoice in grace. Why? Why? Because all he could focus on, on what he had not been given. What is that? That's a total absence of love. It came to the point in verse 30 where he referred to his brother as this son of yours. What's up with that? It's not love is what is up with that. Love ones, be very, very careful. The deceitfulness of sin. In the very pursuit of righteousness, we can miss out on relationship. The older brother had such a desire for obedience, yet he missed the two greatest commandments that Jesus so clearly taught, love God, love others. You see that? He was so concerned of his own righteousness, he failed to love his father and failed to love his brother. The two most important things that we are called to do, that he was called to do, he wasn't doing, which proved then where his heart wasn't at. Now, without question, Jesus is telling this part of this story for the Pharisees. The older brother other scribes and the Pharisees. Loved ones, watch out that we don't become the same. For some of us, we resonate deeply with the younger brother. For some of us, we're going to start resonating deeply with the older brother. And for most of us, it'll be a bit of both. It was for me. Where is the older brother in us? Because watch out for this within your life. He was self-righteous, proud, stubborn, jealous, envious, self-centered, and he was just plain angry. Question, question. Where in your life are these things being seen? What relationships in your life are you prone to self-righteousness, jealousy, bitter? Bitterness and envy and just plain anger. You know, for almost all of us right now, I could say one person's name that is in your life, and the moment I say that name, there would be a twisting inside. There would be a tension that would be created. There would be a feeling and a rush of bitterness and anger at the mention of one person's name in your life. What is that? What is that? It's not love. You have to figure out what that is. Is that older brother? Probably. Here's what you got to know, man, when we're like the older brother, it kills our joy. It absolutely kills our joy. It kills our love. Notice within the older brother. His brother just came home. His brother, who was possibly presumed dead, he's at home. He doesn't care. He doesn't care at all. There's no sense of him coming in to see him. There's no love, There's no There's no compassion. there's no grace. there's no fellowship. He can't give grace because he's too busy judging. Watch out for that. We become so judgmental. Judgmental judgment kills grace in our lives. There's no compassion when we're filled with ourselves. There's no love when we're so preoccupied with ourselves. We can't show love when we're so bitter and filled with envy and jealousy. There's no love there. He couldn't go in. He couldn't be near. We isolate ourselves in our self-righteousness and our anger because in reality, we hate that person over there. So we put ourselves in this place. Where we have our own little empire where we are secure and we can play by our own rules. And don't come near me because I have no love. And in some perverse way, we will often find joy out of being miserable. That's sick. It is what the human heart does. There's a form of pleasure in our misery of hating everyone around us because they're not us. It's crazy. But it's what happens. It's the older brother. No joy, no compassion, no grace, no fellowship, no love. Listen, God speaks to two people today. He speaks to the younger brother and says, child, come home. Stop running, come home. He speaks to the older brother today and he says, My son, come inside. The father entreats the older brother and says, my son, all that's mine is yours. All that's mine is yours. In other words, why are you envious and jealous? There is no one better than the other. Your brother, he was dead, now alive. He was lost and now found. Won't you come in? And the father says that to you, to me today. Won't, Won't you come in? Notice the response needed from both brothers. Both are called to repentance. Because true repentance will always find grace. Always find grace. And that's one of the most important parts of this parable. The Father's love is extended to us today. Whether we've been running or whether we've been standing in judgment. The Father says, come home. Come inside. Receive my love. And let brokenness and repentance begin to bear the fruit of awesome joy and incredible fellowship in the Holy Spirit that all results in the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, these are massive things that we're talking about here. And I can only imagine the levels and complexity of application in the lives of your children today. I can only imagine all the relationships represented. I can only imagine all the thoughts that we've been having, Lord, as you have spoken to me this week so clearly as well. But I pray most of all, with all the extenuating circumstances, I pray you will clear the whole path, and what we see is the Father running to us. I pray, Lord, we see the Father, and just who cares about, I'm running, I'm running, and he's running to you with arms wide and a smile on his face, And love in his heart. And joy on his lips. My son, my son, my daughter, my daughter. Come home, come home, come home. And just imagine God running to you. No matter where you've been or what you've done. And God himself, the God of the universe, he embraces you. He kisses you. He says, get the robe, get the ring, get the shoes. Kill the calf, it's time to eat and celebrate. My son was lost, but now is found. Don't you see? Don't you see? Don't you see the far country can't do it? You are called home today in Jesus Christ. It's the grace of God and the love of God. It's the fellowship of the Spirit of God. That's that's where life is lived. That's where we know joy. That's where we belong. So child, stop running. Stop running. And fall to your knees. Say, Father, I'm home. Father, I'm home. God, I pray for the pride and the self righteousness that exists in us. The judgment, the critical spirit, Lord, the misery, just even the anger, just the anger. Help us, Lord, heal us from this, Lord. This life is too short to walk around judging everyone. Help us, Lord, to see you and to see the brokenness, to say, forget being mad at everyone else. God, I'm the problem. There are husbands here right now. Listen, you have to say to the Lord, Lord, I'm the problem. You have to say to your wife today, I'm the problem, but because you love God so much. He's not going to judge you. He's going to love you. He's going to fill you with grace. But you say today, I'm the problem. There are some wives here today. You're the problem. Children, you're the problem. We're the problem. But that's when we find the grace of God. And so I pray that we sing and we say now together with such joy and love. God, your grace is so amazing. It is unbelievable that you would look at people like us and save us and love us and dress us and feed us and invite us to eternity with you. Oh, God, awaken our hearts I feel like, Lord, could just keep praying, just asking, Lord, that this would be a turning point for so many in this church, so many wandering for so many years. Today, I pray, is the day they come home. They come home never to leave again. In the name of Jesus, amen. Let's stand and just sing as we end today.